Hi folks, Rob McConkie here from Postcards from the Bush. I'm back from my happy hacker ventures out in Western Queensland where I play golf in the Outback Queensland Masters. What an adventure, camping in some of the best national parks, playing golf on some of the strangest courses and trying to master those dreadful sand greens. It was all fun but I'm going to do it again next year. Today I'm down in Stanthorpe at Rising Sun Farm. Donna and her partner Brad raised Dorpers, which I found love apples. They've got black pigs with the most amazing floppy ears, and they've also got alpacas. There's a really ancient old wool shed, and the fences on the property were made, or some of the fences on the property were made over a hundred years ago. They've got 14 holes in them. They are 14 strand fences, and they're very, very typical of the area. But back to Donna and Brad. They want to farm sustainably. They want to build soil health, the microbiology in the soil, and they want to provide you, the customer, with the most nutritious food they possibly can. They sell it at farmers markets and online. So meet Donna Gabbett. Well, where. 30 kilometres southwest of Stanthorpe, so it's a real seasonal farm. Um, we get four seasons. Winters are, are really quite cold. It's the coldest place in Stanthorpe. We've got 1,275 acres. 350 of those are under an environmental stewardship program. And then on the rest of the 900 or so acres, we run dorper sheep, large black pigs, alpacas, and, and some chickens. And the chickens are funny because they've got their own Airbnb. They've got a mobile caravans. What are they doing for you? Yes, we've actually converted some um, and recycled some old caravans. Uh, we've pulled out the floors, put in mesh, put in some lovely iron bark um, roosting posts. And, and that's only where they sleep, though. So during the day, they're actually out and about with the first light. They're all protected by our Anatolian Shepherd Abbey. And they go about being chickens. So they are chickens doing chicken things during the day. So they scratch under trees. They go through all the alpaca poo piles and pick up insects. And they're really beyond free range. They're open range chickens. And while they're not commercial at this stage, they play a really important role. And they're a really important role for you in terms of rebuilding the soil biology, helping the um, the soil rejuvenate. Mm -hmm. The whole thing about regenerative farming is actually to put the biology back in the soil. There's so much research and there's still so much research to do about how important soil biology is. There's so many things that we, we don't even see with a naked eye, but they have such an important role to play in fixing all the nutrients back into your food, whether it be meat, eggs, you know, fruit, vegetables. It's what makes food as it should be, full full of the nutrients that, that we need. And what the chickens actually do is is um, help scratch some of those nutrients back into the ground um, and clean up any unwanted things like uh, fly larvae and things like that. Um, but it's really to, to, to get those... Get microbes. those mo microbes, yeah, microbes working. Get them, yeah. get them doing their job. Exactly. exactly. Uh, and, and for the average gardener in Australia, it's about getting more worms in the soil. But it's, it's it is about much more than that. Well, we do have worm farms as well, so we're we're building up the the, the worm activity. But it, it's everything that works in a symbiotic way. 
um, together. You know, it's all the fungi as well as all the um, the, the different microbes. And it's all about life um, being in a balance and, and trying to get that balance back again. And you've been here for about three or four years now. Have you noticed that you've got more life in the soil, that it, it's easier to dig or it's it, it, when you pull the, pull the grasses out, it, it, there's more action in there? Well, unfortunately, during that time, we did have the, the longest drought on record and the worst drought on record. So, look, it's only really in the last six months that, we've, that we'll see that, so, that we've had rain, so, which is just... But it's, it's a work in progress. Change. Absolutely. It will be never-ending, really, just to, to bring it back to the, 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 the best. Um, but, yes, there has been a huge difference, especially um, in the... ESP site, the, the stewardship site that we have that back in March 2019 when the Queensland Herbarium team did um, their, their annual audit in the 20 metre by 20 metre site, they could only identify six native species. Um, they came back a year later after we'd had some rainfall and in the same 20 metre site, there were 59 native species of which 20 species were grasses. So in terms of biodiversity, we were so pleased that, that it had come back so well after the worst drought on record. What is involved in having um, an environmental stewardship block? I mean, I know when you brought the, the country, you bought this block, it was already there. Mm-hmm. It's actually uh, a program that, that's running for 15 years um, to regenerate the uh, box gum grassy woodland ecosystem, which is actually critically endangered. It runs from, from here in southern Queensland right the way through New South Wales in the Highlands, down through Canberra and actually and finishes in, in Victoria. And so it's a whole network of different private landholders that have got this. And, and quite honestly, it's probably one of the best best kept secrets that you know virtually nobody knows about it but when you tell people they're so excited about about the the program and and what would what what's happening and and uh, to protect the the environment but it's the whole ecosystem that provides um so homes for the native wildlife and birds and um, and you've got a few birds here oh yes there's there's well over 100 different species of birds some migratory, um, as well as the, the, the birds that, that live here. Um, certainly in the last 10, 10 years, there's, we've actually had sightings of regent um, honey eaters, which are, which are critically endangered. We've also had, in the last couple of years, quolls. And they eat your chickens as well. Um, yeah, well, well, look, you know, that's part of the, uh, the insurance policy. You know, if we lose a few chickens to wildlife, so be it, whether it be a wedge-tailed eagle or a, a quoll, yeah, that's fine. Ferals. But is the land locked up for you or can you actually have access to it in some way, shape or form? Uh, we can actually um, winter graze in there, which actually reduces the dry matter down, so reduces the, 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 the risk of um, spreading bushfires. Um, but it means that it allows the seeds to set, so you're creating that seed bank. The grazing animals add in a layer of, um, of fertility, but don't over fertilize the native landscape so it actually means that we can still you know use it as part of our farming grazing program we can't fell trees not that we would want to but um uh and we have to leave you know things like stones and fallen trees as we leave that as habitats but that's part of what we want to do in in the bigger picture anyway what do you really want to do 
well, we want to really return the farm and, and farm in harmony with, with nature. We're going to put in uh, corridors from the um, environmental stewardship block at the back, which is a block of, um, it's not um, contiguous, it's actually a contained big block but by putting the corridors in it means that the wildlife can can move through the property in a in a way that's undisturbed and then in terms of the rest of the farm we're running it regeneratively so no chemicals we're using the animals to to help bring the soils back up to to where they should be with just uh, native varieties so um, and you're composting. I mean, I know that yes. Brad's doing a fair bit of composting. Yes, we are. We're, we're, we're composting. We've got the worm farm. Um, and that's really just to, to give the areas that are really degraded, we can just give them a, a real boost. Whereas the, the vast majority of the farm, it's just done in a, a managed grazing way so that there's a, a contained um, mob of sheep, for example. Um, we contain them in a, a smaller area they mow the grass down and then we move them on fairly quickly, much like the the roving herds of um, of animals through Africa or through the prairies in America uh, when they were allowed to in a nat- nat- uh, natural way. So to use the, the guru Joel Salatin's words is that we mob the sheep up, we let them mow and then we move them on. So you are following a philosophy of um, regenerative farming? A- absolutely, and, and we're, we're taking some from Joel Salatin, some from Charles Massey, also the natural sequencing, Peter Andrews. So we're you're really trying to follow some people that have actually had real results from what they're doing. And, you know, that that's what we're, we're trying to emulate. We did the first part of our interview sitting by the fire because it was a cold morning in Stanthorpe, even though spring has sprung and the blossom trees are out and the place looks absolutely glorious. We went for a bit of a drive and met some of the pigs. We spoke to the alpacas and we had a look around their environmental stewardship program. What really impressed me was some of the old fences that were on the property. They're over 100 years old and apparently were built by Chinese workers They're rare and they're part of our history. Imagine the work, the toil and the energy that went into building those fences. But let's get back to Donna now. Your unique approach is that every sheep's got a name. Oh, (laughs) No, not not quite. But unfortunately, in the drought, I, we ended up with quite a lot of of uh, poddy bottle-fed lambs, and uh, those, yes, they do end up with names. And we do have half of them are girls, so that's fine. They're part of the breeding herd. And we ended up with a handful of special boys. They're in the special boy paddock, but they do have a role to play because they make very good babysitters for any any sick or injured animal. Uh, sheep and uh, and and they they do have a role to play. So and they are really part of your marketing approach too. Because if you go to a, a farmer's market um, and it, it's the stories that you tell about your sheep. I mean, we'll just out the back and it's it's raining a bit at the moment. But I meet quite a few sheep and they've all got their own story. Oh, absolutely, yeah, yeah. We have Basil the babysitter, um, <laughs> and he's actually he he's actually not from our farm. He's actually. Um, gifted to us by one of the neighbours. He's half Merino, half Dorper. And he's now grown into a 95 kilo um, babysitter. But because he's so gentle, 
and because he he comes when he's called, uh, we can put any any little nervous patient with him, and it just by having a buddy, it means that if we lock something up in in the shed to 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 get it back to health, um, he goes in there and and he just gives them some moral support and and it works you know it's we've had some great successes you know and and recovered patients so um so yeah he's he he is a bit of a sweetheart is basil but at the end of the day you're producing food and you you want to produce the best quality food that you can and care for the animals as 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 well as you can what's the product that you're producing you've got pigs yeah and alpacas what is it that you're trying to okay. produce from here? Well, with all our animals, we like to think that they have the best life that they possibly can have and then one bad day. And so that includes Dorpa, so prime Dorpa lamb products. We have got the large black English pigs, which are, again, an endangered breed. And the reason why they're in, endangered, and uh, the ABC landline did, did, a, did a whole series on them, um, is, is because that they they grow slower than than some of the commercial breeds but they they make fantastic free range pigs because they're black they're black skinned they've got their own eye protection because they've got huge great big ears that protect their eyes so they've got their own uh, sunglasses if you want to call them that but the the main thing is because they're slightly slower growing and they and they're good foragers they taste absolutely superb and they have a, a beautiful fat covering which melts lovely in the pan. They're the wagyu of, of, of the pig world. How do you market them? What's the, you've, you've experimented in many different ways. How do you market them? And are you marketing to the top end of the market, the middle end of the market, or you know, how do you compete with Coles? The thing is, we, we're not competing with Coles. I won't call it a niche market, but we've chosen to keep the transportation kilometres down by selling either locally at um, the Granite Belt um, Farmers Market, which is on between 7.30 and 1pm every Friday. What, a, what an ad. Well, there you go. Um, and, and watch this space. We're trying to do Saturday mornings too. But how we sell regionally, and this has sort of came out of the, again, the COVID issue. There's a, a market group called Reiko. That's R-E-K-O. It's a a Finnish idea, a Scandinavian idea, but what it actually stands for is a shortening of responsible consumption. So um, just that, those first few words, uh, first few syllables to make Reiko. And Reiko is a Facebook group. So look for your local Reiko ring and how it works. It's a closed Facebook group. You post what you've got available that week. Now, if we don't have anything available that week, we don't have to post anything. So it means that, that you can only post if you're the producer uh, of a product, whether that be, you know, you make your own candles or you grow your own veggies or you make your own craft. So it's a really good foothold for somebody who maybe wants to make a hobby into a business and, and would like to just see how the market goes. So how it works is that once we've posted online, if somebody wants to buy something, they place a comment on Facebook. Um, we say, yes, we've got we've got that available they pay us so it's a it's a prepaid service there's an agreed delivery spot so then all the suppliers then meet at the same spot for one hour and then the purchasers drive through so they don't even need to get out of the car they stop at our sign 
and we put their their products into their esky that they've ordered and they drive away. So it's very socially distanced um, in this COVID era. But the good thing is, is that people actually get to meet and see the farmer and say hi. And um, but it also is good for the 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 time poor people because they can order online and they just go and pick it pick it up. So we go to Samford at between nine and ten on Saturday mornings and then the next one is Debra which is just down the road um so we do it on the same day between 11 and 12 and then North Lakes um I believe is uh between one and two are there many of these radco groups around I believe in the Moreton Bay area there's a approximately half a dozen about Mm -hmm. six but the it's spreading that it's a groundswell and it, it really is been an an absolute godsend um jackie who who researched it and, and set it up in the first place she had microgreens that she was supplying to restaurants in brisbane well of course when covid hit that business went she she's been really a really good mentor to help help market our, our products and that's what we want to do we, we we want to market our products directly to the end consumer there's a transparency they know where the foods come from and we know who's eating it and you were saying you wanted to sell it for a fair and reasonable price. Absolutely. We look. We of course there's an expense into raising free free range animals. They're outdoors, as we said. We we encourage wildlife, so we know we've lost piglets to wedgetail eagles and things like that. We're looking to do it at the fairest price that we possibly can 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 be. But you know, we still have to make a living out of it. Is it working? Is it is it good for you? We're making a, a small margin on top of if we just put all our our animals on a truck and send them to market. There there is a small margin, and it, it's it's early days. We're we're trying to you know we've only been doing this since October last year. So, um, yeah, we're. And so you you're selling lamb and 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 pork. We're, we're selling lamb and pork products. We have been um, raising the, the the chickens to see if that would be a viable. A viable business so at the minute we've been experimenting with our caravans and they've been doing the the sanitization of the paddocks for us but um we would like to get a, a license and sell eggs as well so they'll be open range uh pasture pastured eggs yeah. and what about the alpacas well the alpacas <laughs> are very good herd guards but again because of the because of covid to try and sell alpaca fleeces commercially is 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 very difficult to even to even get a shearer to yeah. to actually um, get the fleece off the sh- off the alpacas back right now because of the borders with New South Wales. It's um, it's a a big problem, and not just for us, for you know, for for other alpaca breeders and also uh, merino um, growers as well. So yeah, it's been a. An issue. You could sell the photographs of them looking at you. I mean, I was up, I was up in the paddock, and I've got I spent half an hour <laughs> taking photographs. <laughs> oh look, they they make very good. Um, and we call them paddock ornaments, but they actually provide a really good, they're superb at protecting your sheep or goats as herd guards. They, they're, they're really very attentive. And when you can bear to part with the, the dorpers, is there demand for their meat? Absolutely. Look, dorper is their bread and grown for their prime lamb. Because our, our sheep are raised on native grasses and pasture and forbs and... Uh, the meat is is very sweet. It's only if, if required that we supplement mm. their food. Uh, we put salt licks out, so that's organically approved salt licks. But because they're eating a whole diverse range of pasture 
and uh, different species is that it's it's really quite a, a lovely sweet meat. Donna, is it worth going down the certification line, whether it's organic or biodynamic? I mean, you have to follow a procedure to to be in those paths, but is it worth it, or you don't you're not convinced by that at the moment? It's not that we're not convinced. For us, the most important thing is is to get the land back and increase the bio the biodiversity on on the property. Mm. And it's not the our priority to be to be rubber stamped and to be organically certified. I think if you farm in a clean way without chemicals, I think your product tells the story for you. Um, now you used to be in marketing. And you love markets and you love telling the story. Is that is that important when you go? Because people say these days people who want to know the story behind their food, do they? Absolutely. I, th- I think people like the connection of, of where their food's coming from. I think there's been – it's such a shame that, that post-Second World War is that everybody's become more and more disconnected from from where their food comes from and people have realised that actually – you know, it is better to know, and they they want to know that the animal has been raised in 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 the best possible way, and you know, cruelty free. But people like to eat meat, but they'd rather eat meat that's been raised in in mm. in a good way, mm. and has had a good life, and has had one bad day. And I'm a bit of a dog lover. Mm. Tell me about the uh, Anatolian. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we we have. Um, Two Anatolian shepherds. Abby is our master chicken guard, and that's our protection. So our chickens are not enclosed by any electric fences. They can go where they please in the paddock. It's, uh, we move their caravans um, on a weekly basis um, so they don't get too overconfident and go too far. Uh, but Abby is there to look after them. And uh, so, yeah. They're... And are they like maremmas? They're a Turkish version of a Maremma. So they come from the Anatolian plains. They're an ancient breed. They were actually used by the Silk Road traders to protect the convoys. And so they're actually really well suited to this environment uh, because they're used to hot summers and cold winters and they have a double coat and they're not as fluffy as a Maremma. Um, so they don't pick up the, 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 the burrs quite so bad. Now, you've had an amazing life, um, grew up in Manchester, you, you were into marketing, you've been a FIFO worker in Western Australia, you're on, not necessarily living the dream, but you're trying to live the dream and working with Brad, you both, you know, love what you're doing. It, it must be an incredibly steep learning curve. <laughs> steep, it's vertical, it's just like <laughs> stratospheric, it's just absolutely um Look, I, I did have a little bit of exposure. Yes, I grew up in Manchester, but um, my uh, stepfather was from a farming background and three of my siblings have gone into agriculture. You know, we did have a, a few poddy lambs at home and we, we had a little bit of property. I wouldn't call it a hobby farm. It wasn't. Mm-hmm. Um, but we did did raise a few livestock and, and I've always been the most comfortable in a semi-rural environment and and to be honest where we are we're what 25 minutes from Stanthorpe and so yes we're in the lovely granite belt trap rock region but we 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 can still go and get a coffee if we want one and and see and and talk to people so so yeah it's it's a beautiful area um it's what two hours drive from from two and a half hours drive from Brisbane it's 
one of Queensland's best kept secrets, to be honest. Donna, look, thank you very much for letting me come into your your property, meet meet some of the animals, meet some of the the dorpers and the dogs, and good luck to you and Brad. Thank you very much, Robin. It's lovely to meet you. You've been listening to Postcards from the Bush with Robin McConkie. Subscribe on your favourite podcast app and leave me a review. Music was composed and presented by Luke Aidney. Thank you.